The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. Hi, this is Sarah Riff, and welcome to Having It All in Other Lies, the podcast where I talk to people I admire about letting go of perfection, embracing the chaos, and redefining what success and happiness look like to them, because ultimately, the only definition that matters is our own. Today's guest, Allison Statter, is the co-founder and CEO of Blended Strategy Group, a celebrity and influencer marketing, public relations, and branding agency based in Los Angeles. A true visionary and force in the entertainment industry, Allison has strategized and procured talent for brands such as Revlon, Tiffany & Co., Reebok, and Ollie Nutrition, leading their overall influencer and celebrity strategy. She represents and manages brand opportunities with high-profile talent like Gwen Stefani, Chelsea Handler, Adam Levine, and Jen Atkin, amongst other influential personalities. While typically more comfortable behind the scenes, Allison has recently collaborated with longtime friend Kim Kardashian on the BFF palette for KKW Beauty. With the most adorable throwback packaging that brings me back to friendship bracelets and sleepovers and a longing for a time where things felt way more simple. I hope you enjoy. Allison, hi. I'm so happy to see your face today. How are you? I'm so good. I'm so happy to see your face. It's been too long. It has been too long. And one of the things that I always feel like is I'm so grateful that I do this podcast because even if I set aside an hour to talk to someone, it may be the only person that I get to talk to in that way in a day. Yeah. Oh, it's like so crazy to think about how different all of our like our daily routines and our lives are and how we're able to connect with people and what people we connect with right like for us I think this is super exciting not you know because we are friends and we have so many friends in common and we see each other socially but this is actually an opportunity for you and I to have a really awesome conversation and I'm just excited to be here I'm excited for you I've all of our friends have told me just how great your podcast is for the record. Everyone has Aww. been like, I love Sarah's podcast. And so um, I'm Turn just up really her excited volume. that you Turn asked me to be volume. on it. <laughs> no, and I, no, I'm saying that, yes, I'm on plenty of Zoom calls all day, but it's like I don't get a chance to kind of reconnect with a friend and really check in. And this totally. last year has been everybody keeping everything afloat. And, you know, you're in survival mode. And I know you as a business owner and as a busy mom, it's like there's a lot that you're kind of keeping up in the air simultaneously. So it's nice to take an hour for yourself and check in. So with that in mind, I would say, so how are you doing or how are you really? Oh, I would say to answer your first question, how am I doing? I'm doing really, really well because the way that I look at life, especially in the last year that we've had, I think that without our health, we have nothing, right? So when someone asks me, how are you? It's hard for me to say, oh, I'm not good. Because I am, you know, like big picture, I am like I, I, I'm healthy, my family's healthy, my friends are healthy, we have a roof over our head, we get to do these amazing things every day, whether it's work or, you know, spend time together with family or connect with my kids 
deeper than I've connected with them, you know, because we've been together so much. So from a macro level, I'm really good. I would say, how am I really today, specifically today, I feel like a lunatic. I feel like I might lose my mind because okay. I've been just putting fat. Come on in. The water's fine. The water is yeah, fine. Yeah, come on in. But I feel like it ebbs and it flows. And in this very moment, I feel a little bit overwhelmed. But again, I am just trying to take it one hour at a time, one minute at a time, one day at a time. I know I did that out of order. And just again, it goes back to we have our health. We're so blessed. And all this other stuff that is causing the anxieties that I might be feeling or the stress that I might be feeling, like, I think that some of those come and they go and they ebb and they flow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, true that. Okay, I recently read in Mary Claire that you consider yourself an intensely private person. Tell me what that means. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because I feel like I have come up in the entertainment business from the perspective of that my father has been in the entertainment business my entire life. He's, you know, a prominent music manager. And my mom has been, quite frankly, right by his side for the whole thing and as instrumental to his success as him. But he's always taught us that we're BTS for a reason, right? We're behind the scenes for a reason. And I think that I've always really appreciated that about him. And I would say 20 years ago, that was a lot easier. You know, you could fly under the radar and you could do things and do do business and have relationships with people and all of these things that didn't necessarily need to be on the forefront. But with the emergence of social media, that's become a little bit harder. Just also because the work that we do, right? Like the work that we do at Blended Strategy Group is very much about social media and, and being able to help our clients navigate that. And if I'm going to do that, then I need to be a little bit more front facing as well. And so I'm trying to kind of take it all with a grain of salt and, and find my own way of still staying kind of private and behind the scenes, but also putting myself out there in a way that people know that I exist or that I exist and Blended exists because I'm really passionate about what we do at Blended. And so I want to be able to get the word out about that piece of who I am and what it is to me and what it means to me and what we do there and, and be able to just do great work. And in order to do that in 2021, you can't really be BTS anymore. You kind of have to put yourself on the forefront and, and be out there and be vocal and advocating for yourself. And you're your own microphone, right? That's what social media is, is that we're all our own microphones. And now we have, the, have podcasts and multiple other forms of ways to communicate with the world. And so it's a little bit harder these days. Right. It's funny. So first of all, when your dad said we're BTS for a reason, and obviously like you grew up sort of in the middle of the entertainment industry, and I'm sure it gives you a very interesting perspective. But when he said we're BTS for a reason, do you think he meant because we're better at our jobs by having a lower profile? Or do you think your dad saw firsthand some of the trouble that comes with being front facing and some of what that kind of profile sets you up for in other ways? I can't speak to why he felt that way or why he continues to feel that way, quite frankly. You know, his career has gotten so big too that 
it's harder for him to stay BTS, but he's still very private. I think it's probably all of it. To be honest with you, like my dad's from a, a small town called Danville, Illinois. My mom's from here in Los Angeles. She's a Valley girl. And I just think they came up in very normal middle-class families. Like everything was about family and and friends and just, it was all very normal. I get it was a different era. I get it was a different time. But I think that my dad, for him, I think he genuinely just loved his job and, and he's not the type of person that needs to get any public recognition for what he's done. And I feel like I sort of feel the same way. You know, he was just right. passionate about his craft. He's passionate, shall I say, about his craft and he's amazing at his craft. And so for him, I don't think that getting the public's like acceptance of like all of it is actually approval. A right. recognition is like what he needs to feel good, you know? And and I'm not saying right. that that's what other people need. It's just I think for him specifically he was cool. He was just chill. He was like I'm going to go to the office. I'm going to come home. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to hang out with my family. I'm going to coach my kids soccer games and we're going to, you know, I'm going to do the best that I can. And I think that both of my parents did that. Right. And it's also about like setting up your boundaries and your priorities. But starting off, tell me something fun. What was the last lie that you told? God, the last lie that I told? Uh, I think I just told one of my kids something probably that wasn't true. Like who knows what. That's called or, parenting. Right, right. <laughs> just, I just told you that I was really good. <laughs> you know what? Exactly, exactly. Or, okay, so on what occasion do you think it's okay? You're like, I just said that everything is fine. That's a blatant lie. Yeah. You know, here's the thing. It's funny because I don't think it's okay to flat out lie, right? I think that mm -hmm. there's lying. I think that there's white lies. I think that there's maybe not giving or giving someone all of the information and leaving a few pieces out potentially. Like, you know, there's so many different versions of it. I don't think it's okay to lie. Like, I don't, I don't think anything is worth flat out lying about. But I think that being able to finesse and being able to potentially interpret things in a way that will maybe hit or land better, I think for someone to understand something or to talk through something, I think that that sometimes is more beneficial than not, you know, whether it's like, okay, even if I have to say I'm okay with something, even if I'm not, but it's going to benefit, whether it's the social commitment or a business deal or something. And I know that that the outcome, the larger outcome is going to be greater then I'm willing to say, yeah, sure, go for it. Totally, I'm fine with it, you know, because it's sometimes just not worth fighting the fight when ultimately the the net or the outcome of whatever it is you're trying to fight is not by lying about, I don't know, by telling the truth, it's just going to be harder to get to the end, to the, to the finish line, basically. Right, I get that. So what have you had enough of lately? I think like heavy conversations, maybe. I'm usually really good with them because we've had to have so many over the past year with COVID and decision making has been so hard. And so those require heavy conversations. I think I've kind of hit a limit with it where I'd actually rather maybe not even have the heavy conversation and just look past everything to just get to, to maybe bypass the heavy conversation. And I think a lot of us probably have done that, you know, I think in COVID, I've, I said from the very beginning, we all just need to be a little bit more forgiving through this, like not we're not all ourselves, we're all trying to navigate this for the first time, people are making 
irrational decisions, rational decisions, you know, but all of it comes with heavy conversation. And so I think that right now I kind of miss just the fun and the lightness. I feel that so hard. Yeah. Well, we all know how much we feel like we've lost over the last year, but what are some of the silver linings for you? Like, what do you think that you'll take from this time and what have you gained? Yeah. I think that because we were all just stripped of what life was so spontaneously. It was all pulled out from under us. I think that we've obviously all kind of lost that piece of of what life was pre-COVID. And I mourn that. And sometimes I get really depressed about it, you know, because I liked it. I have this great business and I have this beautiful family and I have these amazing friends and I have this beautiful home and I'm so grateful for all of it. And we would have, you know, we were in a groove and we had our system. I would drive the kids to school Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Rich would take them Tuesday, Thursday. Like we had everything going and I felt like, you know, we were in a good wheel and then it all got ripped out from under us. So I do feel like I maybe just, you know, lost that comfort in what life was. I think, but the gain of what we have been able to get out of the past year, I think is just so much bigger than the loss of that if that makes sense, right? Like being able to be stuck in your homes with the people that you love the most and that you care about the most and that you protect the most and sit with some of your feelings and sit with your thoughts and be able to prioritize things in a way that maybe you weren't prioritizing them before. And just so many different silver linings have have really come out of this, I think. And this weirdly, I I feel like maybe this pandemic had to happen for us to all readjust our priorities. Because we, you know, in that life that I talk about that I lost, that I miss, maybe my priorities needed to be different. And maybe that's what this pandemic has brought forward for for me, at least, you know, and and where I want to focus my energy and who I want to focus my energy on and people that I really want to spend my time with. And I think we're all feeling that we're all doing that. Right. It's a recalibration for sure. And like, yeah. like you said, it's sometimes you're going to mourn what you lost, but you will also have to kind of recalibrate and then see what you've gained when you come out of it and you just realize how nimble we've all become, how you've been able to work from home. I, I mean, I say this while I simultaneously think that like someone's going to come through my roof right now because I think one of my kids is doing their PE virtually and chose to do it inside and it's just banging and, and I totally. think we all have become so much more adept in so many ways. And so it's really, it's really amazing. Okay, Allison. So one thing that we, we talk a lot about is the idea that society puts forth to women, especially, and the notion of having it all. Is that something that you subscribe to? And if so, what did you think it was going to look like? Oh my God. It's actually really timely that we're doing this today, quite frankly, just because I have recently just been really like trying to figure out what is my definition of having it all, right? Because I think that one of the things that's amazing about this podcast is you talking to so many different women and, and people in general about like what everyone's definition of having it all is. And I really struggle with it a little bit because if I look back on the 11-year-old girl, Allison, I was a insecure but secure girl right? Like I didn't, Mm -hmm, I wasn't mm -hmm. the prettiest by any means, you know, but I had a strong personality and I had friends and, and I was able, you know, to do all those things. And I remember being a little bit, a little girl and I thought having it all 
was going to be finding like my Prince Charming and having kids and, and just being a mom. Like I remember at 11 years old, my parents once asked me like, what do you want for your birthday? And I'm like, can you adopt me a baby? I just want to have a baby. You know, like that's all I wanted Mm -hmm. was to be a mom. I remember fantasizing about being a young mom and like taking my little baby at 14 years old to like Thanksgiving dinner and, you know, adopted of course. But that to (laughs) me was like, okay, that, that's what I, want in in my life and now I am like gosh you know like if someone was to look from an exterior vantage point into my life they would think I had it all you know they would and I understand why like I'm not naive to that right like I have a very successful family that I you know that I'm lucky enough to work with I have my own business I've been married for 12 years I have three beautiful sons I have incredible friends like people probably look at me from an exterior perspective and say gosh she really has it all and I think that ultimately I do right from that perspective like I do I have all those things you can check all those boxes sure. mm-hmm. but it doesn't always feel that way and that's why I think it's really interesting to explore it doesn't and it not only doesn't feel that way but the, what I'm trying to get at too is like for me because I came up under my family and my parents business my benchmark for success and my benchmark for having it all is real fucked up I do technically feel like I have it all and I've accomplished so much and I'm so grateful for all of it and I'm so grateful for the opportunity but I literally just said to my business partner yesterday I was like what does it mean that if we like like when we land this great I'm confident that we're going to do that but like then what? we need to that but we need to be accepting that that is like we've did it ultimately opportunity brings more opportunity and it's hard sometimes to not do everything that comes your way. And so to me, having it all eventually is going to be like, okay, like, I feel good. Like, I feel like I've done it. I have this family, like my husband and I independently have been able to find success in our own careers and, and all of these things. And it's just, it's a real mind fuck, to be honest with you. So it's interesting what you're saying. Number one, because you thought really what you envisioned for your life and the things that you shared with me had nothing to do with career, right? And you come from a family where your dad clearly has had a very big and successful career. You see that and you see what that looks like. BTS, as you said. Your mom, you know, was an integral part of that. So you see them kind of hustling and but they also had a beautiful family. So you see all components of that life. Now, you know, I would certainly say that you're somebody who, you know, you have your own business, you're wrestling with how much do you want to kind of self-promote, which is what is required to feed these businesses and to feed yourself as an entity that you're trying to build. Ultimately, it's like you're coming to that understanding that it never necessarily stops until you decide for yourself, like, what is enough, right? Like, so what, forget about having it all. What is having enough for me that not only will you feel some sort of satiation inside that you can say, I'm good here. Like, does that ever happen? And if not, what are we working towards? And I always ask people about taking victories. Like sometimes when you're in it, it's very hard to see how far you've come, right? Because you 
are always hustling. You're always going for the next thing. It's always around the bend. And then, like you said, you're like, Sherry, if we get that, then what's next? You know, we got to get to here to build to this. And then from there, we're going to here. There's no destination. There's no cutoff. Your dad, like you said, has had enormous success. So I think it's about everybody establishing what is their definition of success and what are they willing to do to continue to pursue that. So let's talk about your work. Obviously you grew up in Los Angeles. How did you get from, you know, adopting a baby at 14 to going into (laughs) music management? Yeah, I'll tell you, it's, it's an interesting path and it is not one that I would have ever imagined. It is crazy. You know, I was never a good student ever. I I had a really, I struggled through high school. I never really found my footing in high school. I went to multiple different high schools, boarding school included. And then I did go to college. I went to University of Arizona. I dropped out after my sophomore year. It just, you know, again, I just was not a good student. It was very hard for me. Like it was hard. I had hard times focusing. I, you know, I think I probably have some form of mild ADD, like the rest of us in some capacity, you know, like I was always so stimulated that I could never just like sit in class and do the, Mm -hmm. and hunker down and do the work. I was like, but I want to do this and there's this and there's that. I mean, I remember I went to university of Arizona and I majored in retail and I remember, you know, calling my parents and being like, oh, I figured out my major. I'm going to major in retail. And my dad, I think he was like, what are you talking about? He was like, are, wh- like what does that even mean? I'm like, I don't know, but I'm going to let you know. And then, you know, it-, it What that- did it mean? Like, did you want to be a buyer or were you thinking that you would go into fashion? To be completely honest with you, it was like the trendy major. So mm-hmm, I'm like, mm-hmm. I just, I, all my friends were doing it. So I just went with it because again, I wasn't inspired retail. by school. Retail. Retail. I'll do it. Yeah. Retail. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, I did that for two years and I called my parents towards the end of my sophomore year. I'm like, look, I'm basically failing out of college because I just hate it so much. And I really, I I need to come home. I just need to get my life started. And they were super supportive of it. I'm so grateful to both of them that they weren't like, you have to finish school and blah, 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 blah. You know, and they were great. They were like, great, come home, get a job. And I did just that. I came home. I lived with them. And I got a job being a makeup artist at a salon in West Hollywood called Art Luna Salon. And I learned how to do- I'm sorry, I didn't know this. Oh yeah, I could do a wicked face if you need one. I learned how to wax eyebrows. I learned how to do makeup, like all of it. And I loved it. Mm -hmm. And I was making $600 a week and I thought I had made it. I was like, this is amazing, you know? And after, you know, a while of doing that, my dad called me one day and he said, hey- I would really like it if you came into the office and helped me for two weeks. And in the moment, I was like, no, I'm not doing that. Was I don't it something be- specific he wanted your help with or he just... He, he had sold his record label, Giant Records, at the time back to Warner Brothers Records and he was starting up his management company again. And so he said, you know, I need, I need an extra set of hands in the office one of his assistants had quit and I and I just need two weeks until we find someone you know please and I was like he's like I'll pay you exactly what you're making now so you don't you know lose the money and I was kind of like ugh, I don't want to work for my dad I don't want to be the boss's daughter I don't want I don't want to do that I don't want to be in the music business and I kind of 
fought a little bit back and he was like, Mm -hmm. I'm not asking you, I'm telling you. And if you know my father, he's not that kind of person. Like he is the softest, easiest, like he did, he never really did that. And so when he said that to me, I was like, oh, okay. And so, you know, I went and two weeks turned into 17 years. So you're like, so then the answer is yes. Yeah. I did. And when I reflect back on it, I look at, you know, him and I'm like, gosh, he he's like the king of all kings. In that moment, I really believed him that he really only wanted me there for two weeks. But as I look back on it, it was just his way of being like, oh, yeah, you're going to come under my wing. And yeah, we're going to figure this out. And groom you. Well, I mean, he's always managed the Eagles and a few other people. So that that was a given. But one of the first younger artists that he signed back in, God, was it like 2000, 2001, it must have been, was um, Christina Aguilera at the height of Genie in a Bottle. And so he put me on her account as the day-to-day manager on that account. And I spent many years helping him in the management company as a day-to-day manager and then eventually a manager on multiple different clients. And I learned a lot, like I did. I, I learned so much. And my my dad's style is a kind of sink or swim style. You know what I mean? Where he believes in people, which I've really taken from him as well. He, he trusts people. And so he's just kind of like, you can do it. You Mm -hmm. can do it. And he gives you the foundation to do it. And then, you know, because you know he believes in you, it kind of gives you that motivation to fucking figure it out, you know, and you don't want to fuck it up. Like you want to figure it out for him and you want to figure it out perfectly for him. I did that for many years and I managed tons of different artists. And I think I had a stint where I left because I was like, I don't want to be in the management business. This is not, I'm not cut out for this. And I went and worked at Harrison and Schriffman for Laura Schriffman. Which is a PR company. Wait, Allison, going back, I just want to say for anybody who's listening, who's interested in the music business, what would be the difference between being a day-to-day manager and then, you said I worked as a day-to-day manager and then I was a manager. So is day-to-day more sort of scheduling? I mean, I think it's a team, right? And I think it's evolved since I've done it for sure. You know, like I definitely think it's a team effort now. The management business, when I was in the management business 20 years ago, it is a completely different business than it was 20 years ago. I talked to my brother who has an incredibly successful career in the management business. He managed, you know, he partnered with my father after he had started his own management company, managing, you know, Harry Styles, who's one of the biggest stars in the world, mm-hmm. and Megan Trainor. Watermelon sugar. Yeah. I just found out what that means, watermelon yeah. sugar, well, by the way. Don't tell your children. I was talking, what I was getting to is I was talking to my brother about it, right? Like back in the day, it was like, okay, you had your day-to-day manager, which was kind of someone who kept everything moving, right? Like I would do budgets, I would do... I would help with tour routings. I would I would deal with the marketing team at the record labels to set up all the marketing and and the album releases and any it's a ton of organization, tons right? of organization, tons of operation, tons of movement, tons of like it's it's a really important role in my opinion. You're the person who is is quite frankly closest to your client because you're with them all the Mm -hmm. time. You have to talk to them all the time. You have to communicate. You have to educate. You have to do so many things. Did you tour with her ever? With Christina? Um, Yeah, I mean, I was on the road with multiple different artists. I mean, you have to remember, I grew up on the road. Right. I'm sure you have wild stories. Yeah, I mean, you know, one of my favorite pictures is of me and my sister when we must have been like 
three and four and my dad managed Stevie Nicks in the 80s. And we have these- Iconic. Yes. And we have these tour jackets, these amazing tour jackets. And my favorite picture is us on the road in our tour jackets holding hands. And we have like our purple, our, our perfect curls. I mean, it's like, mm-hmm. and so, you know, I grew up on the road. So so that wasn't like that piece of it wasn't foreign to me. or A draw. Or, Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, because I, I, I've been lucky enough to do that. But the day-to-day manager does a lot of the logistical communications, like all of that. The manager manager, I would say, is, you know, the one who's really at the helm. A lot of times working with the artists on strategy, they deal with the record labels from a macro perspective on, you know, negotiating your record label, your record, your publishing deals, your your touring deals, your anything deals, right? Like that's really very high level and and you have to have people who know what they're doing and have the relationships to be able to get you the best of the best, right? And and that's what's most Mm -hmm. important. But in today's world, in 2021, I said to Jeffrey yesterday, my brother, he and I were talking and I was like, gosh, it's just so interesting how management has evolved from when dad started to what it is today because it now, it no longer is one person manages one person. It is such a beast now to manage talent, right? Because there's so many different lanes of opportunity for talent across the board, musician, actor, influencer, athlete, like it is just everything. And competition is fierce. And so whereas in the 80s or in the even the 70s, you know, when you think back, my dad was managing you know, let's use the Eagles for an example, they would make an album that he would get out, then they would, you know, via radio, right? Like that's how Mm -hmm. radio was like, how you did it. And then you would hit the road so that people could see you. There wasn't even MTV for videos back then. You know what I mean? So when you think- There weren't even sponsored posts. No, there was no fucking hashtag ad. (laughs) Now it's like, if you're a celebrity, you're not going to the bathroom without like endorsing your toilet paper. Okay, well, so how did you transition out of management and into starting your own business? Yeah, well, after my stint at Harrison and Schriftman, which I was really grateful for. So I did that for many years. And then to be honest with you, it was a couple things. One was for whatever reason, I was just drawn to the brand piece of what we did for our Mm -hmm. clients when I was still there. When I was in the management company, because I was managing women, you know, I had a lot of exposure to the pay for play deals for to the endorsements, whether it was a L'Oreal deal for Jewel in her heyday, or whether it was, you know, a Coke deal or a Pepsi deal or a T-Mobile deal or whatever it was, these very lucrative opportunities for our clients um, were incredibly important, especially as the music di- business went into decline, right? When you, when Napster started to come up and all of these other digital platforms and, and downloads started to happen, right? The record labels, everyone was like, holy shit, because it, it turned the model upside down. And so the record labels started to have less money to be able to market records. And so it was my job, right, as the manager to be like, okay, well, how are we going to market this record? I need to go leverage a brand and what marketing spend they have to be able to get the news or get the word out about my client and their record or their tour or whatever it was and get creative on how to do that. And so I was doing a lot of that naturally just because women, I think, were thrown a lot of those deals. The beauty deals were very lucrative. And, you know, it it, it seemed to be more of a, a women-focused kind of execution thing. I don't know why, but it was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then 
so, so then I went to my dad and I said, Hey, I had met my husband at the time I was 25 and I had met my husband Mm -hmm. and I said, I just, I don't want to travel anymore. Like, I don't, I don't want to constantly be on the road. I don't want to, I want to have some boundaries. You know, when you're a manager, you're 24 seven, like you do not get a fucking day off, you know, like you just don't, your clients work 24 seven. So you work 24 seven. And for me, I was just like, oh, you know, and I, I really, I fell in love. I wanted to spend all my time with Rich. I, I just like, that was it. And I was like, I don't want to be away from him. And I really think that we need to have someone internally as he, my father and uh, was growing the management business at the time. And I was like, we need to have someone internally who is heavily focused on all of our clients and their brand work. And I want to be that person. And he was like, great, go for it. And I did. And I did mm-hmm. that for many years internally. I did it for like six years internally at the management company. And it was it was great. It was also exhausting. I was one of the only females in it for a really long time. I got a lot of pushback from a lot of the agents who didn't want me p- pitching my clients. They would tell me I wasn't allowed to pitch them. And I was like, what do you mean? They're my clients. What do you I'm mean? Not- they would say you're not allowed to pitch us? You have to remember, again. How do they say to you, you can't pitch your clients? Like, Also, to your point, a lot of these artists make zero on streaming, right? And so they rely on the branding deals that you're doing. And that's why everyone who is like leveraged to a hilt is outselling their soul because being an artist and a musician, even an actor, it does not pay in the way that it used to. I Well, and that's in 2000, let's call it, you know, 2000, what do we want to call it? 18 and beyond, right? But be, be, let's call it, let's be, call it that. Before that, right? Before mm-hmm. that, it was a very different landscape in how it was approached. And yeah, now it's, you know, now it, we live in the wild fucking West. Like who knows, you know, we're all, right. we're all just hustling and trying to make it and have our own thing. But for me, it was really something that allowed for me to use my entrepreneurial skills, right? Because I could negotiate mm-hmm. and I love to negotiate. I love to negotiate and I could use those skills in negotiating these deals, but it also- That's a great skill set as my- a woman too. Yeah. So I just said, I was like, you know, I want to do this. I want to be at the helm of this. And you're going to, you, we had, I mean, we had over a hundred clients at one point, you know what I mean? And I was trying to be proactive as opposed to just reactive in finding brand opportunity across the board for all of our clients. And in doing that, I cultivated incredible relationships, incredible relationships with the managers, incredible relationships with the with the accountants and business managers, with the lawyers and multiple, even the talent, right? Like everyone. And mm-hmm. I loved it. And then I had my kids and I just remember after I had my third boy going back to work and each time I had a, a, one of my children, it was always easier to get back. Like after my first son, I was like a total mess for three months and didn't know what the hell just happened to me. After my second son, I was like back to work in three weeks. You know, after my third son, I never even took a day off. After my third child, I think that I just had this moment where I just felt stunted. Like I felt like I had done everything that I could have possibly done there under the family business, under my dad's mentorship. And I just felt like I needed to branch off and do something on my own to prove myself, right? Like not just to me, but to everyone else, because there's a lot of stigma that comes with working in the family business. And 
then being a female and working in the family business is like, you know, and I'm not complaining right. because I'm so, I'm so No, but people think that like, you're there because you've been given an opportunity and it's a nepotism kind yeah, of Yeah, I mean, I can't I'm tell sure. you how many times it got back to me that people were like, oh, well, she only has that job because it's her dad, you know, or otherwise right. she wouldn't be able to do that, you know, and, and quite frankly, they're not wrong. Right. Like I, I'm very mm-hmm. self-aware of the path that I have gone down has definitely been one of privilege and one that has probably been easier than a lot of other people because of that. And and I think that, sure. you know, I'm I'm very self-aware of it, which, quite frankly, is why I said I need to do something on my own that I'm passionate about that I feel confident in my ability to succeed and and prove to myself, to my family, to my friends and and to everyone else that I I can do this regardless, right? Because as incredible as my father is and and for sure, like I have incredible opportunity because of the relationships that he has and because of, you know, the exposure that I have, right? Like I would never be able to build a business for Gwen Stefani without my father and I'm very aware of that. And I'm very grateful for that. At the same time, my dad is not trusting me to build a business for Gwen Stefani if I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. So there's a lot of that. And it's sometimes it's hard. And, and there's sometimes I still get in my head with it. But when I left and started blended um, with my business partner, you know, I had finally hit that moment after having my third son where I was like, God, if I'm going to leave these kids that I dreamt about at 14 years old every single day. I need to do something that is going to fill my bucket that I'm going to feel really stimulated by. And I was starting to lose my steam and my stimulation and working under the family business. You know, my three sons who watch their mother, not to say my husband doesn't work. He does. He works so hard. Him and Ian actually have been working together, which I love, you know, but I think it's so powerful for three boys to watch me work as hard as I do. I think it's powerful for your children, you know? And so for me, I was, you know, I just, I had to do it and I did it and I'm, I don't regret one single second of it. And so I left uh, the family business, um, like almost six years ago to start Blended with Sherry. So I'm sure, you know, not everybody can relate to being in a family business, but I think everybody probably knows that feeling of sort of hitting their limit and feeling like they're at the end of the road at one part of their career. And I wonder like how quickly for you, were you able to transition from doing that into starting your own company. And I want to talk about some of the hurdles that came along with that because it's one thing to know how to do the job. So I wonder if there were certain things that came more naturally to you and other things that felt like more of a challenge. Oh, yeah. I mean, to this day, literally to this day where there's things that come supernatural and things that are way more challenging for me to navigate. And I think that for me, right, I tell people all the time, they're like, oh, what's the biggest lesson that you've learned about starting your own business. And I think, and I'm sure a lot of people will be able to relate to this. The biggest lesson for me is that I have two jobs. When you start your own business, you have two jobs, right? Like for me, her skill sets with my skill sets combined, we have two totally different sets of skill sets, but when you combine them together, they're really awesome. And so we always say, 
that together we have a one plus one equals a hundred because, you know, I have that talent background and, 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 you know, I also feel really lucky that I'm in this unique seat that I understand brand in a way differently a little bit, I think, because I've come up in it, right? Like I was around pre-social media. So I've seen the the transition and the and quite frankly, the the transcending of how this has all evolved. And so I have a lot of um experience in it because of that. And so you know, we started Blended Strategy together. July 1st will be six years that we've been wow. up and running. And we are going to be, tw- we're 25 people. And we are now an entertain a fully functioning, <laughs> um, shall I say, no, we are a fully integrated and uh, marketing agency. So we, which specializes in influencer marketing, PR and social media strategy, which is our most recent capability that we're super excited about. And I think that, you know, my goal, our goal, shall I say, has always been to just make sure that we're building a suite of capabilities that doesn't exist under one agency, right? Like we don't need another ad agency. We don't need another PR agency. We don't need a straight PR agency, shall I say. We don't need another just social media strategy. We don't need another brand development. Like what our goal is, is to look at all of the different things, capabilities that either a brand or quite frankly, talent needs in order to service all of it. Cause it goes back to, right? Like the management piece of it is like, it no longer is one-to-one, right? You know, there's brand, there's podcasting, there's touring, there's books, there's so many things. My passion lies in the brand piece of it. And I love it because I love it, whether it's one of our clients is Ollie Vitamins, whether it's getting to sit in with the Ollie team and strategize on what is their influencer marketing strategy. We've been doing that with them for five years. You know, we've we've worked collaboratively with them from the onset of what with the very small budget that they had at the very beginning of launch with that budget, what is the conversation across the influencers that you should be having? Who's your current audience? Who do you want to bring in? What are your KPIs? And we really just help, we've helped them navigate that from the ground up. And this year it's been really exciting. They're a client on both the PR side and on the brand strategy, influencer marketing side. It was so great to be a part of the entire you know, over the past five years to see where they started in influencer marketing and where they've gone. At Blended, we define influencer marketing very broadly, right? An influencer is anyone uh, with any influence. It can be a global superstar. It could be a YouTuber. It could be a TikToker. It could be a podcaster. It could be a like-minded brand. It could be anything of any influence. And our goal is to curate a suite of capabilities under one roof that doesn't exist to help brand and talent really navigate all of it. They got it all. So like you said, obviously choosing a partner really makes sense in any endeavor that you have skill sets that complement each other, but they don't have to be the same and that you want to choose people who have strengths where you don't. And I wonder like, as you've been assembling your team, what has been the biggest surprise for you in running a business? God, I feel like, I think it goes back to 
that I was really surprised that it's actually two jobs, right? Is that I actually have the job of the operational side and the running of it. And then I have the job of actually doing the work in order to have it run, right? Like I still am doing all the business development work. What's the growth look like? What clients am I out to hustling, trying to bring in the door? You know, how do we continue to increase our fees at a responsible rate? How do we keep our P&L responsible? You know, look, what's our cash flow analysis? Like it is, there's so many different things that go into it. And I'm just really grateful because I feel, you know, similarly to how my dad and my my mom work is, you know, like I said earlier in the podcast, like they believe in people. Right. And that's that's kind of how I lead. I believe in people. Right. You know, I believe in Sherry as the president and co-founder of Blended Strategy Group, and I trust her immensely. I believe in our, you know, our SVP who has been with us for, you know, almost five years. Like I, or, you know, I believe in in our senior director of PR, Holly, who came in and started this division all on her own. You know, I mean, obviously with our support, but I believe in these people. And the other stuff to me is like, we'll figure it out, you know, like, but mm-hmm. I believe in you and I want to help you achieve what you want to achieve. And I want you to do that. And I want to, I want to be able to do it with you. And I think that that is, that's really kind of how I lead. So one of the things that I'm super, super excited about is just the, the the natural growth that we've had at Blended, right? I think we talked a little bit about just if I, if I could have dreamt about what my life was going to be at 40 or 41, I'm 41, you know, I don't, I wouldn't have ever really necessarily been able to have drawn this blueprint. I'm really, really excited about where the agency has gone. This brings me to my next question. We expect women to work as if they don't have kids and to raise kids as if they do not work. And so since we are both working from home, I can't help but notice that you have a friend that keeps trying to pop into your call. Yes. And I wonder, like, you have a very busy business. You have 25 employees. We know that employees, that's like children in their own way, right? Like you are constantly managing personalities, temperaments, needs, et cetera. You are the mother of not one, not two, but three boys under what? 10? 11. Under 11. So how do you handle that? Do you ever feel like you're crushing it at work and blended is absorbing social media agencies and like going into the next stratosphere, but you're a shit mom or you're killing it as a mom, but you're crumbling at work. Like, does that resonate to you at all? Well, first of all, I get through it because I'm a massive cannabis consumer. I'm so sorry. But as we speak of this, he says he has a so quick question. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Hopefully, if all goes according to plan, Chelsea Mm -hmm. Handler and I are going to be launching a female-focused cannabis company come September, October, September, You've been working on this, correct? For years, because cannabis is, years, cannabis is so hard because, you know, it's Because you've been stoned. No, I'm better stoned. I work so much better. I am such a better human because of cannabis. This flower has changed my life in such a positive, productive way. My vice is cannabis, right? The majority of my friends are like drinks. They need wine every night or uh, their tequila every night. And again, everyone's is their own. For me, 
I think the cannabis really centers me and it mm-hmm. it puts things in perspective for me and it calms me down and it allows for me to process things differently. It makes me a better friend. It makes me a better wife. It makes me a better mom. I mean, I shit you not, there have been times where Rich has been like, you need to go eat an edible or smoke a joint and come back and then we can have this conversation. And it is so much more productive. Okay, but what about the munchies? Yeah, that's a real issue. That's something that you and Chelsea need to dedicate a little time to. We're working on it. There's a strain called THCV that Mm -hmm. does actually do the opposite. It's okay. Is that THC vegan? THCV. There's some you can. We'll be smoking. Yes, or eating, but smoking, whichever you prefer. Eating. But so, Allison, aside from weed, what are your guidelines in terms of establishing kind of what your priorities are and just acknowledging that we all have limited capacity? We all have limited time. Over the last year, a lot of us have been stuck at home with kids, too. So trying to be productive is harder when you have so many different hats that you're trying to wear. Yeah. You know, look, I am never shy to admit that I have a lot of help. And I'm really grateful for that. You know, I have an incredible, I wouldn't even call her my assistant. I would call her my like lifeline who, Mm -hmm. you know, makes sure that I get up every morning. And, you know, she, I mean, she's just, her name's Emily and she's been amazing and she really helps me a lot. You know, we have, obviously we have a nanny, if not more than one to help. And I just, I'm not afraid to ask for help when I need it. I'm really good at delegating, you know, where, I think that that is a really big quality in a leader. You need to be able to delegate because if you can't, then I think that and 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 you get too in the weeds on things. Like then you're not allowing yourself to shine and giving yourself. You know, you're you you need to be able to delegate in order to allocate your time efficiently too. You know, so I'm a big delegator and I'm not afraid to ask for help. It comes with experience and it comes with cannabis. You know. You know it, girl. So the, Speak, the, now you're the speaking my language. Two. Now you're speaking my language. Exactly. Okay, so Allison, two questions. So, you know, you said that as someone who were behind the scenes for a reason, obviously you have worked on now not one but two, definitely outside of behind the scenes projects with your friend Kim Kardashian, first appearing in Skims ads, and then you did a BFF palette. Right. So then you started to you were like me because I used to have a private Instagram and I made it public not that long ago. And you kind of started to market yourself also in a way that's probably very beneficial to your business. What's that transition been like for you? Are you comfortable with it or how are you responding? Yeah. You know, look, I you did a makeup tutorial. I tuned I in for it. I did a makeup tutorial by but accident. I, I didn't even that was mean so to. Outside of your wheelhouse, little did I know you were like an Art Luna trained makeup artist. I was See? like, "Whoa, she's killing See? it!" You know, it's interesting, right? Because Kim is someone who I consider a sister, right? Like her and I. I don't know life without Kim. Kim doesn't know life without me. Like that is how long we've literally known each other for, and so. When she first asked me if I would be in that Skims, the first Skims campaign, I it was like, a, I was like, yeah, no problem. Whatever you want, you know, like the same way that if I would ask her to do something for me, she would like, that's just the type of people and friends that we are. Like, I don't question, I, I will, I will do anything for her. She will do anything for me. Those are, that's, that's our relationship. I don't know that I, I knew exactly where that 
Skims video was gonna live. To be completely honest with you, when I was filming it, I just thought, oh yeah, no problem. You know, like Skims had, I don't even think it had launched. I think I was, you know, so no one knew. I didn't, I- Right, not only are you doing something on camera, but you're actually in Skims, which for anybody who doesn't yeah. know, obviously is shapewear, right? So it's like you literally overnight became an underwear model. Yeah, it was interesting. Well, well, to the point that like, I didn't even realize where all that content was going to sit. And then the night before it launched, I was like, I better tell Rich. And I called oh God, him. You hadn't told him? No, I mean, he knew I did a skims shoot. But again, no one, mm-hmm. we were just like, yeah, no great. Knew, right. You know, you know, whatever you want, I'll do whatever you need. And quite frankly, the product is so fucking good that it's like, yeah, I'll fucking wear skims. I love it. You know? Mm-hmm. Um. So, so when I called Rich to be like, hey, just wanted to let you know, like I, you know, that Skims video is going to be on her Instagram and it's going to be this. He's like, in your underwear? I'm like, well, they're not really underwear. And he was like, okay, whatever, you know? So it was just like a funny thing. I, I, I really, it was just truly one of those things where my best friend asked me to do something. I said, yes, absolutely. Whatever you want, I will show up. Just tell me where to be, whatever you need. And then you know, it kind of became more than I had anticipated, which is fine. You know, I think I, I think well, you I str- looked great, by the way. Oh, well, thank you. I, you know, I think I still struggle with it, but I also need to learn to embrace it, you know, and I'm, I'm just trying, I'm trying really hard to figure out what is the healthy balance, you know, what is the healthy balance of understanding how to navigate and, and use this microphone that I speak so passionately about in social media how do I use that for other people how to use it for yourself well how do I do it in a way that I want to inspire other people right I don't just want to sell something right yes I of course I want you know everyone to call blended strategy and and hire us for influencer marketing and PR and social media strategy and brand identity work and all of these things that we're going to have capabilities to do which I'm super passionate about and I'm super excited about and yes, of course, I think we're the best in the biz, but I, you have to in order to, you know, but I also think my competitors are the best in the biz. You know, there's so much out there. I think competition is so healthy. Um, so I'm just trying to figure it out. And I'm really grateful for people, you know, around me, people like my business partner, people, my brother, you know, I'll call my brother the night I remember calling him like the night before the launch of the collab. And I was like, Oh my God, I'm so nervous. This is so out of my comfort zone. And you know, I'm opening myself up to so many things. He's like, it's going to be great. Don't worry. And I am a giver. I'm a doer. I want to give back. I want to do, I want to help. I don't, I don't want to just sell, you know? And, and I think that I'm trying to kind of figure out that healthy balance in there. Right. I think we're all trying to figure out a balance. And I so appreciate you being honest about that too, because like you said, it's very easy to be on the outside looking in and just think that you have it all figured out. I think the best thing that you can do to help other people is acknowledge that you're still evolving and you're still working on yourself and you're still figuring it out and you're going to try things that aren't going to stick and you're going to be able to pivot and keep going. And I think that's what we all need to see more of and people acknowledging that, you know, all of our sort of versions of success change and evolve and that we're all works in progress. We are. And we all need to be a little bit more forgiving, right? And we all need to be a little bit more forgiving uh, to ourselves. It's okay. I tell I tell my team all the time, it's okay to make mistakes. 
I've learned my biggest lessons, biggest, both in in personal or professional from making mistakes, whether that's in a friendship or in a business deal, like it's okay, you know, and, and I believe that. And I, I think sometimes people forget that you know, and, and I, and and we're all flawed. Like I say that all the time, you know, we all have flaws. Not a day goes by that I don't wake up incredibly grateful for every single person that wait, that gets up in their day and devotes their days to working and, and being part of the blended fam, because it's just so crazy to me that, that people do that, you know, like, oh my gosh, you know, we've, we've built something that people want to be a part of. And I'm really proud of that. I think that that's important to acknowledge that you feel proud. Allison, wrapping it up, obviously your life looks a lot different than you anticipated. What would having it all look like to you today? Oh, gosh. I think having it all today would, if someone could tell me today that me and my husband were going to both live until we were a hundred years old and everything was going to be fine and our children were going to grow up and thrive and do well. And that Rich and I could pass away peacefully holding hands and know that we did our best. I think that if someone could tell me that that would happen, then I wouldn't have anxiety for the rest of my life. (laughs) I could tell you, I could tell you that. I don't know, but you can't. You can't. You can say it, but you can't. I could say it. You can't guarantee it. And I think that's what life's all about. Nothing's guaranteed. No, nothing. Well, thank you so much for all your candor and for taking the time today. Where can people follow you? Thank you so much for asking me to be on your podcast. I'm very grateful. I'm very proud to be part of it. I I love you. I love, you know, I, I know that people probably don't know this about you, but you moved to LA and you didn't have very many friends and you navigated your way and you met all these amazing people. You came into my life through multiple different people. You've been at Jimmy Choo since, I mean, God, how many years have you been there? Probably, probably since it started. Yes. You've been at Jimmy Choo since it started and you have worked your fucking ass off and I, I, my hat's off to you too. Thank you so much. Having It All and Other Lies is a production of Embassy Row. Our executive producer is Sarni Rogers. This episode was produced by Alexa Machia and Anna Marie Johnson. The show is edited by Maureen Bigas. You can follow me on Instagram at Sarah underscore Riff and the show at Having It All Podcast. See you next week.